I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT out of the euro but in a debt crisis. How would UK banks be affected by a Greek or wider debt default? Missing out on a billion pounds when reclaiming tax on foreign shares can pay dividends. And in a spin about airline charges, why the Office of Fair Trading wants hidden debit card fees outlawed. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Elaine Moore. Hello. And Lucy Warwick-Ching. Hello. And joining us down the line from Dublin, because we refuse to pay Ryanair's debit card charge, we have our special guest, Seamus Murphy, who's Senior Personal Tax Manager at Taxback.com. Hello. Let's start then with the money news. This week, the Greek government faced a make-or-break vote on new austerity measures that would prevent it from defaulting on its bonds. But irrespective of the outcome, many now believe a Greek default is almost inevitable, with the chief economist at fund manager Ignis saying on Wednesday that Greece is certain to default in the medium term. Does this matter to UK savers and investors? Well, while economists debate the effect on the Eurozone and the likelihood of a new drachma, analysts have been estimating the losses that UK banks may incur as a result of their holdings in European government bonds. Most estimates suggest that exposure to Greek bonds would be minimal and manageable. But what if other indebted European governments, Portugal, Italy and Spain, for example, face the same problems? Will your bank's share price suffer and will you get a worse savings or mortgage rate as a result? Elaine, how real a danger is this? It's very real. Anybody watching the news this week, seeing the images of uh, what's happening in Athens at the moment, uh, will know that this is an an extraordinary period of history. And, of course, there will be a knock-on effect for the rest of Europe, possibly for the rest of the world. What's difficult is untangling exactly what the effect might be to UK banks, so for UK bank shareholders or for customers, mortgage holders, um, people with savings accounts. So banking analysts have been putting out reports. They've been trying to sort of exactly work out where the exposure is. What they've found is that there are a number of UK banks that do have direct exposure to Greek government debt. So these are the um, the bonds that everybody's talking about at the moment, that if Greece defaults and if the banks then have to write down this debt, that could have a problem. So what they think, according to UBS, you have RBS, you have HSBC, and you have Santander. But compared to banks across the rest of Europe, their exposure is not that huge. So that sounds as if, um, you know, no matter what happens 
in Greece, we're not going to notice too big a effect on the share prices of uh, RBS, um, Santander and, and others. And we shouldn't really notice any change in uh, the sorts of rates they're offering to us on the high street. But I suppose it's not quite as simple as just direct exposure, is it? It's not, because, of course, the Eurozone is very interconnected. So anything that happens in Greece is going to have an impact on the rest of Europe. So the, the wor- very worst case scenario that people are talking about. So if at some point... Greece defaults. This then has a knock-on effect to countries like Portugal, to Ireland, even possibly to Spain. You have banks across Europe already lending to one another. UK banks, even though they might not have a huge amount of exposure to Greek government debt, they will have a lot more exposure to banks in, say, France, which themselves had a much greater exposure to, say, Greece or Ireland or Spain. So this interconnectedness then means that if it's harder for banks to lend to one another, they might pass that on to us. It might become a lot harder to get credit from the banks. But that's a sort of worst case scenario, long term potential. That's a sort of domino effect. That's if all of the dominoes topple over and I suppose we're, we're only at the beginning of that of that process at the moment um, let's look at it from the point of view of um, UK investors who hold shares in UK banks and let's face it there are still, there are still lots of them um, to what extent are these European uh, debt problems already priced into the shares bank shares have been negatively affected in recent days because of this problem, because of the news coming out of Greece. But the very important thing to remember is that everybody across Europe, across the whole world, has known about the potential problems within Greece, within the rest of the Eurozone, for the last couple of years. So banks have been required to make provisions for the potential of having to write down this debt. And because of that, shareholders have taken that into account. So it should be priced in, the potential problems. But of course, it's it's all about the knock-on effect. If this did cause in the worst case scenario, the second credit crisis across Europe, then of course that's going to have a huge negative effect on banking shares. So not too many plus points for bank shareholders. Um, You've already mentioned that um, whatever happens with Greece, there's unlikely to be an effect on, say, mortgage rates or, or savings rates. If we do look towards the worst case scenario and we get the contagion and we get... Uh, European banks having problems and then UK banks that lend to them having problems. Uh, has anyone said to you this week that they could they could imagine worse deals on the high street? They have. They have said that if, if interbank lending becomes a lot tighter, then you could see uh, banks would therefore need to raise prices on mortgages or mortgages would become a lot more difficult to get hold of and the impact on savings would be quite minimal. So you wouldn't see an inf- an a raise in savings rates, but you would maybe see a raise in loan rates. But what analysts have said to me is that actually the UK banking system is looking fairly robust. Nobody's brave enough to say that it's uh, immune to any outside problems. But compared to the situation it was in, say, in 2006, it's actually looking a lot stronger. Banks have been required to have a lot more liquidity, to hold back a lot more capital, just in case something happens again. So what analysts have said to me is that they can't see another Northern Rock occurring. But nobody's actually willing to put their name to it, I should say that. Right. So we, we have anonymous assurances from uh, from bank analysts. Well, I, we'll, ha- we'll have to uh, just go with that uh, for now. Elaine, thanks very much. Obviously, we'll, we'll keep following this story as uh, um, the events in Greece unfold. But if you'd like to know more about uh, UK banks' uh, exact exposure 
to Greek government debt and those possible knock-on effects for investors and customers. Look out for Elaine's report in the money section of this weekend's FT and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, how do you feel when a low-cost airline charges you £8 for paying by debit card? Well, you'll soon find out that you're not alone. First, though, dividends on foreign shares. New research from Taxback.com, the international tax specialist, has found that UK investors who fail to reclaim tax on foreign share dividends are missing out on more than £250 million every year. It's because most foreign countries impose a withholding tax before dividends are paid out to overseas shareholders, and they leave it up to those investors to reclaim anything that they are owed. Where the UK has a double taxation agreement with a country, British investors can be entitled to a refund. However, just 7% of all withholding tax deducted from company dividends is currently being reclaimed, which is cutting dividend income by around 14%. Lucy, this £250 million a year must add up very quickly. Yeah, it certainly does. And um, experts are saying that it's going to keep increasing as more UK investors hold more cross-border investments. Um, I was actually speaking to Seamus yesterday and he was saying that it could potentially be as much as £1 billion that people are missing out on. Um, So Seamus, can you actually talk us through how you've come to this figure? What we've actually started with is the Pink Book 2010, which is published by the National Statistics Office. So we started with a figure that's called Earnings on Portfolio Equity Investments, which kind of breaks down the foreign income that's earned by UK investors uh, into different sectors. Um, So the two sectors we've really looked at in terms of um, individuals and individual investors are self-administered pension funds and basically what's called the household sector. Uh, So in total, um, the Pink Book sort of lists that they have over $3 in foreign uh, equity income in 2010. Um, So looking at the sort of average refund opportunity you get from most countries, which we estimate at around 13%, um, the figures sort of fall out of it themselves, and you end up with about a quarter of a billion annually that's been missed by individuals. Okay, and just taking an ordinary individual's portfolio, UK investor, say mm-hmm. what company shares could they hold in that portfolio that could be affected by this? They may not actually even be aware that they can reclaim this tax. Um, can you give me some examples of companies that people may hold? Yeah, of course. I mean, withholding tax is pretty much standard globally now at this stage. So if you have UK-based investors holding any foreign equity, really, there may be a withholding tax issue. Mm -hmm. Um, The ones where you're most likely to see it, actually, for UK retail investors are companies that were based in the UK that re-domiciled out to, say, Dublin Mm -hmm. or out to Switzerland, um, or companies that have been uh, purchased by foreign uh, entities. So if you think of Cadbury and and Kraft, it's very likely that there would be a lot of UK investors who, who had shares in Cadbury and which are now they're holding shares in Kraft, which is a foreign entity. So you're going to have um, U.S. withholding tax issues there. And I guess would that be the same with uh, Santander? So when people were holding the Abbey shares, now it's been taken over by Santander, so they could um, inadvertently find that they now could reclaim this tax, but they're not really aware of it. That's, that's perfectly right. So you're going to have a lot of U.K. shareholders again who are now all holding pretty much Spanish um, Santander shares. Now, the Spanish levy would only tax 19%. Mm-hmm. The UK-Spanish treaty tells you that it should only be 15%, so the 4% difference is reclaimable. Okay. Now, not many people are probably aware of this, although Santander and their, you know, in fairness, they do put it on their website that it's reclaimable, but, you know, it comes with caveats that it may not be cost-effective just with the 
the cost of employing someone to actually do this. Okay, so let's talk about how people can actually do it then. So as you mentioned, that some in some cases it may only be 4% of the dividend that you're missing out on, so you may not want to go through the costs and actually do that. So say if you've invested in a US company and the withholding tax is 30% and the treaty rate is 15%, so you could actually reclaim 15%. Can you just talk me through how to do it? Yeah, of course. I mean, Spain is not a very good example because the difference that's reclaimable is only 4%. Um, what's important to remember is there are a lot of countries out there where you could be reclaiming 20% of your dividend, or as in, in the case of the states, as you mentioned, 15%. Um, so the way to actually reclaim it is there's sort of a dichotomy here between countries. If you look at the likes of um, the United States or Ireland, they have systems which are called relief at source, which means that if you put the appropriate documents in place before the dividend payment date, they, the company that's paying the dividend will actually pay that dividend at the correct treaty rate. Um, a lot of countries don't actually offer this um, solution, and the one that always jumps to mind is Switzerland. Um, they impose a 35% withholding tax. You can't get relief at source, so there's no opportunity to be proactive and make sure you're getting the right treaty rate. You actually have to come along after the event and file um, a reclaim. Now, the issues with these reclaims, of course, is that, you know, in some countries, they're not in English, so it's not very easy for English-speaking investors to, to read them, complete them. There are other issues, of course, with um, certain countries require you to have a representative on the ground to actually hand the form over to, to the tax office. They require foreign bank accounts, so it can be a bit tricky to get it back. Um, and, of course, you know, doing all the research yourself, it, it can be it can be time-consuming, let's just put it like that, especially if you're looking at doing reclaims across maybe 10, 10 countries if you've quite a, you know, a varied portfolio. Taxback is, is one of a few companies that actually offers a service that helps people to reclaim this tax. Um, but of course, it won't be worth everyone's while to, um, to do this because there's a fee. What's the fee with your company? Um, well, our fee is a minimum of €75 Euro or 10% of the refund. Um, the key to this, I guess, is that it's contingent. Um, so you can come to us. We will give you an estimate. It's no obligation. You don't have to proceed. Uh, but if you think the amount is, um, you know, viable that you want to claim it back, then we'll proceed. But we don't take any fees from the client up front, um, only once the refund is received and uh, deposited in their bank account. So it can be worth your while reclaiming, depending on how large your shareholding is. Seamus, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, and for full details of how to reclaim the tax on overseas shares that you own, look out for Lucy's article in the money section of this weekend's FT and on the website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, debit card charges. Now, imagine that you wanted to jump on a plane and go and visit Seamus in Dublin. You go to the website of a low-cost airline, you pay extra for all your luggage, you pay extra for so-called speedy boarding, and you pay extra for their charming customer service. Then you go to pay for your by-now-not-even-remotely-low-cost airfare, and you find you must pay another £8 just for using a debit card. Annoying, isn't it? Well, which magazine, and now the Office of Fair Trading, would agree? After investigating complaints about hidden debit card charges, the OFT has ordered travel companies, including 16 airlines, to stop hiding surcharges for customers who pay with debit cards. Elaine, this has been a, a long time coming, because I imagine that every listener out there has you know, been irate when they 
they get charged this just for paying. Absolutely. And there's often hardly any way of paying for your goods or services without being charged, which is infuriating to a lot of people because why should you be charged money for something that actually costs a few pence for a bank or a company to process? We know that the cost of processing a debit card is estimated to be 20 pence. 20 pence. 20 pence. And yet... On quite a few occasions, from quite a few companies, you can be charged £5, £6, up to £8 for just for paying with a debit card. And how do these companies, uh, uh, these airlines, attempt to justify the charges they have on? Well, there's, a, there's not very much clarity on the processing system. So it, that sort of works in their favour because the card companies themselves don't really break down exactly how much it costs to process. But then, of course, if you think about some of the organisations like supermarkets or like clothes shops, who, which are taking hundreds of thousands of payments with credit and debit cards every single day and yet don't charge anything at all, this is what the OFT had a problem with. They were saying it doesn't make any sense that certain travel companies, budget airlines, train booking companies, certain ferries, um, taxi companies, they do charge you quite a large amount of money for paying. Exactly. And, and, and all of this adds up. Um, I, I saw a figure that was, uh, I think, quoted for the, for the amount that's uh, just in airfares, I think it was. It was hundreds of millions of pounds. That's right. In 2009, it's estimated that customers spent £300 million just on surcharges for paying for products. So it's a huge amount of money, and actually it's a huge amount of revenue that the companies are making. So understandably, they're not enormously happy about the idea of having to get rid of these charges. The OFT has said to them it actually wants to ban surcharges that exceed the cost of processing a card. So there will be some wrangles, I expect, in the future about exactly how much it costs to process, what companies are allowed to charge. But what is more probable is that companies will no longer be allowed to hide these charges. So you will actually have to see it on the advertising. You won't be able to advertise a flight for one pence that actually ends up costing you £15. Can't wait for that because this is one of the things that really... Uh, really annoys me. Um, how have some of the airlines reacted to the uh, the OFT's demands? Well, one airline, to its credit, Monarch Airlines, has actually already got rid of its debit card surcharge. So it was charging 3.5% every time you paid with a debit card. It's now got rid of that completely. And it says that it hasn't moved that cost onto any other part of its system. So it's not going to raise the cost of loading your baggage onto the plane or whatever. And it hopes that its kind of improved customer relations will make up for the loss in revenue from that. The other airlines have been a little uh, less forthcoming on this. So I spoke to Ryanair yesterday on this very subject and they were very adamant that they do not charge debit or credit card fees. So despite the fact that you might see a £6 charge being added to the cost of your ticket when you put in your details for your debit card, that's not a debit card fee according to Ryanair. What is it exactly? It's a voluntary administration charge. Very different. Oh, it's voluntary? Of course. So I I can change my mind and not pay it? Well, it's not voluntary necessarily in that way. There's one particular (laughs) card... In what way is it voluntary? There's one card that they will let you pay on that offers has no charge at all so it's a prepaid mastercard barely anybody has this card but if you do and the card itself comes with its own charges monthly fees for loading up money and so on but if you have that card you will not get charged by Ryanair so voluntary oh I see so I'm volunteering by not taking out this card that nobody has because it carries very and giving six pounds each way per person uh, per transaction to Ryanair, it's very generous of you. Uh, well, I know, yes, exactly. Uh, somehow I, I, I feel that this is not going to be the end 
of this particular story. But uh, for bringing us up to date thus far, thanks very much, uh, Elaine. And uh, for more reaction to the OFT findings, you can read Elaine's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. That's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember that you will find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, blog posts and top tips on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash ft. Money, And if you've got a question you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us. The address, as usual, is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Elaine, Lucy and our special guest, Seamus Murphy of taxback.com. Goodbye. goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.